I greet all of our parishioners today who join us here in our church and those who by spiritual communion are with us by way of the electronic media. I see our numbers are growing Sunday after Sunday as we continue to battle the pandemic of coronavirus and distance ourselves, but also are learning how to manage our faith under these circumstances. And it is a joy to be with you all, to see you come back to church gradually, and to trust that what you have been missing these last months is a blessing to be here and to receive our Lord in person. The distinction I want to make today in these reflections is between what, on the one hand, and who, on the other. Between what and who. Keep that in mind now. In my former parish at Immaculate Conception down at 8th and N in the Shaw community, where I served for 15 years before coming here to St. Anne's, we did not have a bathroom in the church. Bathrooms are a necessity, but we didn't have one. The church was built in 1868 or so, and there just wasn't room for a bathroom. Well, one day, we had a funeral there, and I was out doing what I typically do, is to sweep the streets and make things look nice and clean up trash and make things presentable to people. And I was wearing blue jeans and a ball cap and a t-shirt, and this was about 8 o'clock in the morning. And the hearse pulled up, and the pallbearers arrived. They were early. I wasn't ready for them, but the pallbearer came up to me, and he said, Hey, you, I need a bathroom. Where is the bathroom in this church? And I said, Sir, I'm so sorry, we don't have one. He said, no, 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 you got to have a bathroom. I've got to go. I said, I know you got to go, but I, I don't know what to do. We don't have a bathroom. He said, well, where's the pastor? I want to see the pastor. I said, you're speaking to him. You're not the pastor. Look at you. You're the janitor. You're the maintenance man. Where's the pastor? Come on. I said, sir, I am the pastor. He said, ah. I don't know what he did, but anyway, we did the funeral, and as I was coming down the aisle dressed in vestments, he looked at me intently, and he came up to me, and he said, you're the pastor? I said, yeah. He said, but you were just out there, that was the maintenance man, that was the janitor cleaning up. I said, no, I was the one who told you that I am the pastor. He apologized. About a year later, we got our bathroom. We put one in, and I hope he tried it out. My point to the story is he judged the book by its cover. He judged me by appearance. I couldn't be a priest, because I didn't look like a priest. I don't know what priests look like, but apparently they don't look like janitors. How strange. 
So he was understanding me by what I do. I am a janitor. He defined me in terms of what I do. Not who I am, but what I do. Or by my appearance, by my outward show, by the clothes I wear. Think about this. We do judge people often by what they do. In fact, so often in conversations, isn't it interesting how many times you've had that experience, I'm sure, where someone meets you and they'll immediately go to, well, what do you do? It's actually very rude. What do you do for a living? Where do you live? How much money do you make? Do you know so-and-so? Oh, yeah, I, I worked there once. What do you do? Not who are you? So we judge people often by their work. We identify them by their socioeconomic income. We define them in terms of their political persuasions, where they live, how successful they've been in the what of life. Now, in this gospel, remember, many people were following Jesus because of what he did for them. Thousands were told. In fact, the 5,000, among others, who were fed by a couple of fish and five barley loaves, they were impressed by what Jesus was doing. He was performing miracles. That's what he does for them. They understood him in terms of what. That's why he says, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Oh, some say he's John the Baptist. He's performing miracles like that prophesying, living a certain kind of simple and humble life. That's what they do. No, he says, no, I'm asking you the more profound question. Who do you say that I am? Not what do I do. Well, I know you're impressed by the miracles. Many had come to follow him because of the miracles only. What can I get from Jesus? What can he do for me? They were desperate. The thousands and thousands of healings that Jesus performed in the course of those three years of his public ministry from age 30 to 33. Amazing. But that's not who he is. That's why he says to the disciples, but you, you've been with me these three years, these privileged few of you. Who do you say? that I am. Now remember in the Old Testament, the name Yahweh means I am. I am who am. So when Jesus uses this phrase to the listeners of his day, who do you say that I am? They're already connecting that he is Yahweh in the flesh. 
So it's the question of identity. Who are you and who am I? And Peter comes forward. Peter, who is not educated, he's a fisherman of simple means. He's a braggart. He's stubborn. He's proud. And he says, I know who you are. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. See, no one up to this date has said that. No one has said, you are the Christ, the Christos, the Messiah, the long-awaited Savior of Israel. No one has said this. They've said, he's like John the Baptist, he's like a prophet, he's like a miracle worker, he's a wonder worker, he's a guru, he's a moral man, he has great ethics and virtues and extraordinary powers. But no one has said what Peter says. This is the first time. Now, of course, this gospel is being written in the early years of the church, and they're trying to establish the Petrine authority, that is, the authority of the popes, because it's Jesus who establishes the church upon that first pope, Peter, and says, to you I give the keys to the kingdom of heaven. So this establishes the Petrine authority. But what's important here is that the authority that Peter is given stems from a tremendous act of faith in the most extraordinary acclamation. That you're not just a man, Jesus. You're not just a guru. You're not just a superman. You are God made flesh. This is what the Christ means. Christos, the anointed one. This is amazing. And so because of that act of faith that Peter has in Jesus, Jesus will establish the church upon him. And he no longer calls him Simon, bar Jonah, Simon, son of John. He now says a new name. I will call you Petra, Peter. In Greek, Petra, rock. The firm, established foundation of faith is not in what we believe, dear friends, but in whom we believe. The difference between what and who. We are Catholic Christians fundamentally, substantially, not because of what we do at Mass or what we do as Catholics, but in whom we believe. Now this is fascinating because the Mass is fundamentally a personal encounter with the God-man. Oh yes, there are prayers and music and smells and bells and all the accidents that go into the skeletal structure of ritual, but fundamentally, this is not about ritual. Substantially, this is not about pious practice. It's about a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus under forms of bread and wine, body to body, blood to blood. The most personal encounter anyone could ever have with God today takes place through, in, and because of Jesus who does this for us in the sacrifice of his life, death, and resurrection at Mass. The work of God for you, for me, and for all so that sins may be forgiven. This is why we come. 
but primarily it's a personal relationship. Who do you say that I am? At the moment of Holy Communion, you can say, when I present you the body of Christ, when you say amen, amen in Hebrew, I believe, you're saying it with Peter. You're saying it with the apostles. You're saying it with Mary Magdalene. You're saying it with countless millions of saints. You're saying it with 2,020 years of Catholic Christian belief. You are the Christ. The Son of the living God. This is why Holy Communion, friends, is so important. And it must be taken so reverently. With humble hearts, but with great faith and conviction that what I receive is not so much what, but who. I receive the living God in my body, in my soul. Is that not amazing? Can you say that with Peter? You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And if you can, then that is a revelation to you. That's a gift from the Holy Spirit because the world does not see it that way. They see a wafer, a piece of bread, a sign of our fellowship together and maybe a symbol of unity and community and humanity and that's all good. But it all pales by comparison to who this is, not what this is. You receive Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. And in a moment as well, when we profess the creed, it's not what we say, it's in whom we believe. Notice the structure of the creed, the profession of faith that follows in a moment. I believe in God who is the Father. I believe in Jesus, the Lord, the Son. And I believe in the Holy Spirit. These are three persons. I believe in persons. Persons are identified by who, not what. So the whole Mass is this beautifully orchestrated personal prayer of our Lord before his Heavenly Father. And we get caught up into that by power of the Holy Spirit to adore, to glorify, to worship God, and to receive the body and blood of his Son. It's who. And if there's ever any doubt during these difficult times when it may be a challenge to your faith, you're wondering, you're anxious, you're upset, you're frustrated with all that's been going on all around you, economy, politics, racism, just to name a few of the issues that are constantly barraging our minds and hearts, stand back, take a deep breath, and let the Lord ask you again the question he asked to Peter, who do you say that I am? Lord, what are you going to do about the pandemic? Lord, what are you going to do about this? What are you going to do about that? What? No, not what. Who? 
You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. I believe that. And once I believe that, once that takes Petra, rock, within my soul, see, I can stand firm, not only with Peter, but within myself, to believe that he has power to do what the world calls impossible. You see, this is the words of Our Lady when the world would say, oh, how can this be that she could conceive without relations with Joseph? And Mary says, with God, all things are possible. Nothing is impossible for God. She's foreshadowing what Peter's saying. You are the God. You can do anything. I believe you. I trust you. So, dear friends, as we gather today around this altar of sacrifice, once again, let us commit ourselves, by God's grace, to that amazing revelation that is not man-made. No, it's God-given. That this God-man Jesus is truly divine, truly human, Son of God, Son of Mary, and the Christ, our Savior.